We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, the show today is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC and they'll match your first deposit. Dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. They've got some prop bets up right now uh, for the Super Bowl. So beyond this weekend, right now, Tommy, as Tommy joins me um, from Florida, uh, the favorite to be the Super Bowl MVP, and he is a massive Favorite at minus 570 is Patrick Mahomes, um, followed by Joe Burrow, uh, and then Matt Stafford and Jimmy Garoppolo. What's interesting is that, you know, the Bengals play the Chiefs in the AFC title game, the Rams and 49ers play in the NFC title game. So I would have thought that the favorite would have been Mahomes. That's the obvious favorite, and he's a very you know, big time favorite to be uh, to eventually be be the Super Bowl MVP. But I would have just thought that the second favorite would have been the NFC quarterback, you know, Stafford, because he's got a chance to get to the game. Whereas Burrow, if Mahomes is the heavy favorite, won't even be in the game. But they're saying essentially that the winner of the AFC Championship game will be, you know, I don't know if they would be favored actually over the Rams, but that Joe Burrow would be a big part of it, and uh, therefore Joe Burrow is the second favorite. The long shot to be your MVP, Tommy, Jimmy Garoppolo plus 4,000. You wager 100 bucks right now on Jimmy Garoppolo to become the Super Bowl MVP, you win four thousand dollars that about seems that? like a good long shot to me <laughs> that's it's a big time long shot uh at my yeah. bookie uh mybookie.ag mybookie.com use my promo code kevin dc uh and most importantly you will double your money upon your first deposit um and uh they're giving away money even if you've got a place where you're already gambling take the free money take the place to comparison shop on point spreads lines money lines you know price etc um, at mybookie.com, mybookie.ag. What's going on? How you doing? How you doing, boss? Did you doing enjoy okay the football? down here in Florida. Do you enjoy the football? Oh, yeah, very much so. You know it's a transcendental game when uh, my wife watches and is interested in it, as was the Chiefs' Bills games, and talked about it the next morning. That's... And that, that's basically transcended football fans, that kind of game. That is so interesting 
because at my house on Sunday, the day started with four of us in the house, okay? My wife, me, my middle son who lives in Baltimore with his girlfriend, um, they were over at the house. And, um, and my wife, as you know, couldn't care less about sports or football. And my son's girlfriend, my son's girlfriend, who is also like my son, a musician, she's a wonderful singer, um, an artist. Uh, she really couldn't care less. I mean, she, if she weren't, um, you know, uh, with my middle son, she wouldn't even know they were playing these games. Um, and so, uh, the Rams Buccaneers game is coming down the stretch and you know, they're, my wife's listening to what's going on. Um, the girlfriend is not in the room with us. She's doing something else in the uh, other portion of the house. I think she was actually playing piano. Um, and, um, we're kind of yelling a little bit about here comes the, here comes Brady and the Buccaneers. So my wife, (laughs) my wife jumps in, she's like, and she just says, is he going to do it again? Is this really going to happen again? And so she stuck it out till the end of that one. Um, But my son's girlfriend, nowhere to be found. But at the end of the Chiefs-Bills game, my my son's girlfriend, Riley, she's a wonderful girl. Uh, Couldn't care less about sports, has no idea what's going on, like my wife. She literally came down in the at at the end of the the at the reg, uh, regulation, and she basically said like it's th- this is the number one trend on her Twitter on her Instagram, and she wanted to see what all the fuss was about. <laughs> and so there were four of us there for the end of the Bills Chiefs uh, game in overtime, and I think that probably happened you know, on a lot of places that people who aren't really into sports, you know, I'll I'll give you another example. I was listening to Howard Stern yesterday, um, briefly, you know, Howard, I'm a huge fan and I, I just have, I've had Sirius XM forever because of him really more than anything else. And he is not a sports fan at all. And he really kind of scoffs, you know, at, at sports. He doesn't know anything about sports, which is okay. Although I think it was you who told me once, didn't you tell me once that you're leery and a little bit un, you know, non-trusting of guys that say they don't follow sports? Was that you? No, that wasn't me. Okay. I, I got, I'm trying to think of who that was. Somebody said, you know, I just don't believe a dude when he says I, I'm not into sports at all. And I don't trust that guy. Um, I forget who it was in my life that said that. But I actually have one of my closest, oldest, dearest friends who I was in business with for many years probably had no more idea than anybody um, that, the, that these games were even going on. And so I, Look, I, I've got three. I have three brother, brother-in-laws in my family. None of them care a lick right about sports yeah i have people in my life that are the same way uh, obviously my my wife being the closest um however uh so so back to stern so, I, I turned on stern when i was in the car yesterday and all they were talking about was the chiefs bills game and howard's he was a little bit incredulous like and they were talking about the Bengals game too 
um, because JD was is a Cincinnati fan, and and anyway, they were going back and forth, and I still got the sense that Howard just still doesn't get it. And like I would say to somebody like him who loves to be entertained, it's one of the great reality shows in in entertainment. Forget that it's sports; it's an incredible reality show because you have no idea what the outcome is. You know, you, you don't know. It's not, you know, it's not a sitcom. It's not a television show. It's not a movie that you can watch once and then watch over again. And Sunday it played out four times over as the greatest reality show on television, which is the NFL. I agree 100%. You know, I'm loath to use the term reality because what we've come to believe are reality shows, I don't think are a reality at all. I think it's like... I think most reality TV under the guise of reality is like professional wrestling with a scripted ending. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm very – but this, this, I mean, you know, we're going to believe that these are not scripted endings, that this truly is reality television. And, and here's the thing about football, and, I mean, this is my first time really, like, verbalizing it and thinking about it, because basketball is dramatically athletic. Okay. You know, I mean, you know, a dunk, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a dramatically athletic sport. But it happens in, in second, in, in brief moments, you know, those, two, those dramatic athletic moments. A dramatic athletic moment in a football game can unfurl over a course of, what, five seconds, six seconds with like a 60-yard run down the field. Right. You know? I mean, and I think that's, that's what makes it so much more appealing to non-sports viewers is they can appreciate the, the drama that's taken place with, with somebody running a 60-yard run. You know, you don't have to know anything about football to recognize that, that that's a dramatic moment. So I think that has a lot to do with the attraction of non-sports fans. When they're in a game and, and you're seeing one dramatic moment after another in, in the Chiefs-Bills game, uh, that's what I think brings in the non-football fan. You don't need, no, need to know anything about football to appreciate a guy catching a 60-yard pass on the run and running into the end zone. I get what you're saying. I, I think every sport has um, you know, those areas in which you can say that's the part that draws them in. I know what you're saying with respect to a, a play that plays out over six to seven seconds athletically, you know, uh, and, and by the way, the drama then builds in between, you know, the 40 seconds yeah. in between plays, just like it does in baseball in between pitches. There's a drama yeah. level there that builds. Hockey is nonstop. Like, I think the gr- one of the greatest things as a sports fan to watch, and I think one of the most dramatic things, and one of the things that's nonstop on your on the edge of your seat, is an overtime NHL playoff game, because of the sudden death nature of it, and it can and so many, it literally you don't have to wait more than typically fifteen seconds for the next opportunity where you think it just almost ended, and then all of a sudden it does. Um, basketball. Um, I mean, the athleticism and the shots and the different things that can happen can be totally wow moments. But I, I think I understand what you're saying. I, I, um, I mean, there's also football takes over 
this country in terms of numbers, which then sort of manifests itself in in so on social media. Like you can be totally oblivious to the fact that this Kansas City Buffalo game is going on. And yet, if you're on your phone and you pay attention to to, to social media, nothing's going to light up anybody's social media like Sunday afternoon did. No NBA game, no NHL game, you know, no no World Series game like what happened because they're, you know, literally I, I'm going to guess that probably 60 million plus people were watching that game. The numbers will come out. It's going to be an outrageous number. I mean, the Dallas 49ers wild card game, which wasn't in prime time, in the wild card round, drew an average of 41 million viewers, and it peaked at just over 50 million. So I would guess that the Sunday night game, given how competitive it was, I bet you that th- this game may have averaged 60 million viewers. That's it's it's unbelievable. It really is. I mean, and you know, you know, then then the next morning on on news talk shows. You know, news. morning talk shows. It's it's it, it's it's the news. It's dominant. Right. Absolutely. Right. Somebody, I don't know who it was. I saw this tweet and I just laughed. Um, it was like um, after one of the greatest weekends in the history of the NFL playoffs, and maybe you know, arguably the greatest game or greatest finish. You'll turn on ESPN the following morning, and they'll be talking about LeBron James <laughs> 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 somehow. Um, I don't think that's true, by the way, but um, yeah. So what were your – so give me some of your big takeaways from the weekend. Well, uh, I think the 49ers uh, showed uh, a toughness that I didn't really think about before. You know, I don't think Kyle Shanahan's teams are necessarily associated with being tough, physical on defense. And they lost their defensive coordinator, didn't they? He yeah. wound up getting hired by the Jets, yeah. right? He still has in, in New York, yeah. yes. But, I mean, that's the one thing I was impressed with the four. Because, the, 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 I mean, it was not a good game, necessarily. It, it, you know, it was a close game. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, and no, no, neither team played particularly well offensively. But the 49ers just, just toughed it out, you know. And I was impressed with that. On the on on the 49ers game, uh, I was disappointed that Brady didn't do it again. Okay, I think it would I think it would have made for a great story if, if Brady had managed to to pull off another uh, upset uh, again. I mean, when when you're sitting there watching the game with somebody who doesn't know football, and you explain to them that he was losing the Super Bowl 28 to three and wound up winning it. You know, they're just their jaw drops. Right. You know, they can't believe something like that. So, uh, you know, I was kind of disappointed that Brady didn't win, uh, uh, just for the just for the sake of the storyline. And uh, as far as the uh, you know the big game, the Chiefs and the Bills, um, I couldn't believe all the whining about the overtime rule after the game. I just was. It was like, like, like you know, we were we were having a nice, friendly, manly <laughs> event, and then all these all these whiners jumped into it and said, "I want the ball, I want the ball," <laughs> you know? Yeah. They had the ball, so I want the ball. 
God almighty. So that's actually a good segue into something that I want to talk about, and we'll do it right here. I wasn't planning on doing it, um, and that is the overtime rule because I've rethought my position from yesterday. But let me just let me back up real quickly. Um, where does Chiefs Bills forty two thirty six overtime? You know, twenty twenty two postseason. Where is that for you? You and I have both watched a lot of NFL playoff games over the years. Where does do you did you even think about it in terms of you know this is the greatest I've ever seen or it wasn't as great as you know because you do that a lot of times and so do I. It's like sorry, but uh, do you remember this because I was there or whatever? But where does it rank? You know, it has to rank, I think, probably top five. I mean, everything else is subjective. You can't call it the greatest game ever. I mean, the greatest game I ever saw involved the Chiefs. It was the Chiefs and the Dolphins, the 1971 Christmas Day. Uh, divisional round game that went to, to overtime. Christmas Day, And the Dolphins won 27-24. Longest game in NFL me, history the, still today. Yeah, that's the greatest game I ever saw, and I watched it when it was happening. And I'm not going to argue with you. If you say that this is a top five game, but don't sit there and say like like the world started yesterday. That's the greatest game ever. That's my only argument with it. Real, real, you can only argue for what for where it fits among the greatest games ever. That yeah. would be my opinion. So, so I mean, I think the '71 Dolphins Chiefs is my my greatest game. So, I, I mean, it seems like, and I think I mentioned this with Scott yesterday because I had Scott on the podcast. The, um, I, I, I talk about this all the time when, I, when we see something great. Like, I understand what we've all become. Um, I don't know if it's uh, a last you know, decade or two-decade thing, or maybe uh, it's just my imagination that we're so much more prone to hyperbole, you know, based on something that just happened, you know, the recency bias thing. But I said to you two weeks ago that the Chargers-Raiders season finale is truly going to go down as one of the most memorable regular season games of all time. And I tried to really, you know, stay medium, as Jim Zorn would say, because I didn't (laughs) want to go overboard, but it really was. I mean, I just sat there and it was jaw-dropping, you know, over that that three-and-a-half, almost four-hour period. Um, I think Sunday, and I think I said this yesterday, I think it will certainly be one of the most memorable finishes in NFL history. I mean, we've never seen 25 points scored in the final two minutes of regulation. No. And, you know, the field goal in 13 seconds to get into range and then overtime, et cetera. But for me, and I don't remember the Dolphins-Chiefs game um, watching it. It was Christmas Day, 1971. Now I have watched it and I've read about it and I've seen all of the documentaries, you know, and the various, uh, you know, shows that have been done on that Chiefs Dolphins 71 game. It's still the longest game in NFL history. Um, it went deep into uh, the second period, it went uh, seven minutes and 40 seconds into the second overtime. But for me, and I've always felt this way, the Dolphins-Chargers game in January of 82 following the 81 season is the greatest start-to-finish playoff game I've ever watched. 
it was so compelling from the start to finish because it had it had the back and forth nature, which I think is 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 a big a component or a big part of what makes a great game. The Chargers were up twenty four to nothing early in the second quarter, and then the Dolphins came back, and at the end of the first half, they hit on one of those hook and ladder plays, Don Strzok off the bench, and 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 Tony Nathan uh, ends up uh, being uh, from Duriel Harris on a hook and ladder, and it's 24-17. Box stop with six seconds to go. <laughs> Eight first downs, all passing. Uh, what are you going to do, make a nice four-yard gain in that position? And then the Dolphins, from 24-0 down, take a 38-31 lead late into the fourth quarter. But then the Chargers come back, and they force overtime. And that game went to a second overtime period with Kellen Winslow blocking not one, but two field goal attempts after catching 13 balls in the game. One of the greatest individual performances I've ever watched. The, The heat, the exhaustion... Um, the physical um, distance in which those teams went, I think that's the greatest game start to finish that I've ever watched. But Sunday... I can't, yeah, I, I can't argue with that, by the way. I mean, I, that would be my 1A uh, yeah. among the greatest games I ever saw. I remember watching that it, you know, on TV as it unfolded as well. Oh, it so was... that, 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 that was great. It was absolutely great. Um, but it was... Um... It was uh, it, it was a phenomenal phenomenal game. Um, so your overtime thing. So let me just say that um, I I personally in in the aftermath of the game I I you know those are the rules you know that that's those are the rules you know the, we we know them as NFL fans and we, it's not like we haven't debated the overtime rules previously we have and a lot of people have haven't liked the overtime rules they've changed over the years in 2010 um the NFL went to this got to score a touchdown on the opening drive, but that was only for the postseason for a few years. You know, the the regular season still could end it could, ended in sudden death with a, a field goal. You know, but then in 2012 they moved the overtime rule in the postseason to the regular season, and we've been dealing with this rule primarily. Um, except for the change in time, uh, regular season has gone from 15 minutes to 10 minutes. That happened a few years back. But we've been dealing with this, you know, you got to score a touchdown on the opening drive to end the game um, and uh, to end the game in overtime if not the other team gets a possession. Um, I, You know, the whining about it in, in the moment is ridiculous. We've known what the rule was. The Bills and the Chiefs knew what the rules were, and, the, and those are the rules. However... My position actually over the last 24 hours has changed on overtime because I think with Scott yesterday, I essentially said, yeah, I don't need it to change. I don't want it to change. I don't need it to change. If it does change, I'm okay with it. But now I want it to change. I, 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 I 
did a lot of thinking about this yesterday, and I had several conversations about this yesterday, and I, and I learned something that I didn't know. Um, so Lewis Riddick tweeted something out yesterday. Uh, he tweeted out, of the 163 overtime games, regular season and playoffs, under the current overtime rules, only 35 of the 163 were decided by touchdowns on the first possession of overtime. And then he wrote 21.5%, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Four exclamation points from old Lewis Riddick. He writes, don't tell me coin flips are deciding games in overtime. Strategy and execution does. And then four more exclamation points. And, you know, the argument, by the way, of just stop them is not a bad argument. You know, if you don't like that they can, you know, you, you can lose the coin toss and they can go down the field and score a touchdown and you won't get a chance on offense, well, just stop them. Okay, that's not a bad argument. But here's what Lewis Riddick did not include in his tweet, and I didn't know either until somebody brought uh, my attention to it. In the playoffs, since the new overtime rule went into effect, of the 12 games now that have gone to overtime with these overtime rules in effect, 11 of the 12 have been won by the team that won the coin toss. That ain't 21.5%. And so the reason you would ask is, well, why? Why is the percentage so much different in the postseason? I don't know why, and nobody explains it, but here's a guess from me, just a guess. The best teams and the best quarterbacks are playing in the postseason. I mean, more often than not, that's what it is. I mean, was there any doubt on Sunday night that whoever won that coin toss and got the ball had a pretty damn good chance based on what we had just witnessed over the final two minutes of regulation of winning that game on the opening drive. And so I also started to think, in addition to the numbers being completely lopsided in postseason games, 11 of 12 now that won the coin toss won the game. Now let me point out, not all 11 won the game on the opening drive. Yes, yes. Seven of the 11, though, won the game on the opening drive. All right, in 2011, it was the Tebow to Demarius Thomas to beat the Steelers. All right, that would not be an example of a great quarterback, but still, that was the, the opening drive touchdown. Russell Wilson did it against the Packers touchdown. Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald did it against the Packers as well in a divisional round game. Brady did it in the Super Bowl. Brady did it against the Chiefs. Cousins did it. Kirk Cousins did it against the Saints in the wild card round two years ago. They won the toss. He hit Thielen on a bomb and then hit Kyle Rudolph for the game winner. And then on Sunday, Pat Mahomes did it. So of the 11 coin toss winners of the 12 overtime playoff games that won the game, all right, um, you, you, seven of the 11 won with a touchdown on the opening drive. That's a lot. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a hefty percentage. The other thing... But it's to, not 10 out of 11. No, but... But still... Okay, well, look. 
here's the other part of it. Yeah, but seven out of 11 is a, a, a big number. It's a big number. I mean, that is, it, it basically says you lose the coin toss, you're done. And by the way, the, the, the 11 out of 12 also says you lose the coin toss, you're done. Because we've only had three instances where the coin toss winner won the game, but not on the first drive. Um, in part because they they drove it and then they were able to punt somebody deep into bad field position too. You know, that helps as a coin toss winner. But the other thing too, Tommy, that changes when you don't have, um, when you have to avoid one thing as the defensive team on the opening drive of overtime, your strategy can change. I'm not suggesting it does, but it's in, it's logical that it does. And that is, we can't give up anything big. You know, we can give up plays underneath. We can give them, you know, chunks of the field. We can't give up the big play. It's the only way we lose. If they drive down and kick a field goal, we're good. And so defensively, your strategy now can change. So I now would like to see the overtime rule changed. And Bill Barnwell, you know, um, from ESPN dot com wrote extensively about this and actually there were things about what he wrote I didn't know about all of these different proposals that have been out there for a couple of years some of them are crazy did you know that the Eagles um I'm sorry the Ravens last year proposed the following to change the overtime rule they proposed that um that it, the that overtime is decided the overtime kickoff is eliminated you eliminate the kickoff and the coin flip winner gets to choose either taking the ball or the yard line in which the other team will start with the ball now this to me is gimmicky i'm glad the nfl kind of laughed it off and didn't you know adopt it um, but my, I mean, in that Sunday game, what you would have had if that were the rule, right? The coin toss winner would have taken the ball and then the other team would have said, yeah, from the one yard line, that's where you're going to take it from, yeah. you know? Um, and so, uh, but, but anyway, uh, there were, there are several, there've been several proposals, including just guaranteeing that another team, if the other team scores a touchdown, gets a possession. There's a proposal out there that apparently um, some people like, which is playing to eight points. The first team to get to eight points, which means to end the game with a touchdown on the opening drive, you'd have to go for two. All right. Instead of kicking the extra point, you'd have to go for, go for two to end the game. If you kick the extra point, the other team would get it. If you missed the two-point conversion, the other team would get it and then have a chance to win with a touchdown and an extra point. But to me, the easiest thing to do, it's so easy, just play a 15-minute overtime period to its completion. Just play it. Play 15 minutes, and whatever the score is at the end of the 15 minutes, that's your final score. That's football on a 100-yard field with every rule that you play with in the fourth quarter, with no strategy changes that are different from the end of a fourth game? quarter. Then you go to a second. What if it's what if, oh, then you go to a second. Okay. Yeah, then you go to a second 15-minute overtime. 
Or if you, you know, then, you know, safety is the, the ultimate concern, which is why they went from 15 to 10 in the, reg, you know, in the regular season. You're still at 15 in, in, in the playoffs. But, you know, if you want to make the second overtime something that resembles what we have now, okay, because it's so, you know, the, the chances of, of that are, are, are slim and none. But I would just make it another 15-minute overtime period. For the people that would complain about the safety, whether it's the players' union or the league, We've had 12 overtime games in the postseason since the new rules went into, in, into effect in 2010. So basically 12 in 12 years. So an average of one overtime game per year. So one game, you're going to play a 15-minute extra period. Come on, people. That's what they should do. And it shouldn't be 10 minutes, and it shouldn't be 7.5 minutes, and it shouldn't be 12. 15-minute overtime and play the game like we've been watching the game with special teams, with strategy that, that reflects fourth-quarter game-ending strategy. Have the two-minute warning. Give teams additional timeouts, You know which they do anyway. It's two extra timeouts. But give them three extra timeouts, and let's play it out. To me, that's the easiest thing. By the way, I would do that in a regular season too, but I don't think they will do that ever. I think the regular season, you know, is more because there's so many more games, you know, safety becomes much more of an issue. But for an average of one overtime a game a year in the postseason, play it out that way. That I'm in favor of that now. I'm very much in favor of that. Uh, and I think, by the way, my gut tells me they're going to change to something that won't change the regular season, even though I think the regular season should be changed. You know, even if they keep the same rules, it should be a 15-minute overtime, not a 10-minute overtime. But I think they're going to make a change in this offseason to something that gives, um, you know, that ensures that a game like that doesn't end again without the other team getting the ball. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I'd be fine with that. You know, just go ahead and play a, another period. I'd be okay if it was a 10-minute overtime. Uh, because, let's face it, hockey, uh, during a regular season, they, they don't play uh, full 20-minute periods in overtime, you know. Well, it's three on three so, and it's five minutes. <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. true. I mean, in the playoffs, though. No, in the playoffs, it's regular uh, hockey, you, 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 it's, but except it's sudden death. Yes, it is. Yes, it is sudden death. I'd have no problem uh, if if they changed it to that. It's just that I mean, to me, uh, the whining about not getting the ball back and to accommodate that situation in most of the recommendations to me is just the final white flag of on defense in the NFL. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, I mean, we've already yeah. given up so much as it is. It's the final acknowledgement. That defense doesn't matter, and I don't want I don't want to do that. Well, I don't. Defense should matter. It definitely should matter. I mean, I and I and uh, God, I mean, I think some of my favorite games in NFL history have been some of the lowest scoring games. I've cited this game several times in the past. It wasn't an overtime game, but one of my all time favorite NFL games was Giants fifteen Forty Niners thirteen in the NFC Championship game in nineteen ninety when the Giants with Hostetler went on and won the Super Bowl. 
you know, the, the in, in January of 91. I mean, that game, you know, the, uh, Matt Barr with five field goals, just one of the more physical. I mean, you don't even get games like that that much anymore because of the rules, but I love games like that. My, my one issue with limiting the time is the same issue I have in the regular season. And if you go to 10 minutes, the problem with that is – you can definitely have a team, we saw it on Sunday with both of these teams, as explosive as they are. Their first two drives of the game were like seven and a half minutes and six and a half minutes. So if you take the the kickoff as the team that won the toss, and you've got one of those super long seven and a half minute drives, then you're not really giving the other team, you're giving the other team a chance with the ball but they're in a different position with the ball. And you can say, well, stop them before seven and a half minutes. But I just would rather see 15 minutes so you have legitimate, fair, okay, if you go down, whether it's a short drive, long drive, I'm going to have the ball on offense with an adequate amount of time to match you. Um, And by the way, maybe even beat you with two more drives. Who knows? Um you know, the the other thing, by the way, um, and somebody, a friend of mine brought this to my attention after my radio show this morning when I mentioned this. He said, the one thing, he goes, I agree with you. He goes, I, I would do just the 15 minute. It's the cleanest. It's the, it keeps everything, you know, the NFL will never do what college football has done, which is turn it into a, a carnival, you know, um, uh, you know, shooting gallery thing. They're not going to do that. This is the NFL. The college football is going to change what they did last year. The Illinois Penn State game was a mockery of football. Um, the nine overtime game where you're just running two point plays. Now I'm sure people under the age of 30 loved it, but if you're a if you're a traditionalist, you don't even have to be a traditionalist. If you're a longtime football fan, that was laughable. I mean, that was truly like you know, putt putt golf into the clown's nose to try to win the, the the prize. It was stupid. The NFL will never do that. But my friend made one point. He's like, you know, if you play a full overtime period. It can make a great game and very anticlimactically because, you know, let's just say the team that wins the toss goes down and scores. And so it went into overtime at 24-24, now it's 31-24. Then the other team turns it over and it's a pick six and now it's 38-24. to And then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're going for it on fourth down, they miss, and then they score again and it's 45. Like you could end up with some of those games being blowouts in overtime. That's true. And, and, and it would end very anticlimactically compared to the way overtime ends now. But I don't care. I would put up with, I would put up with the games that could end up ending you know, differently than they ended in regulation from a dramatic standpoint. Okay. I'm, like I said, I'm fine with that. Okay. What I wasn't fine with was the post-game whining on social media. I mean, it, it was almost childish. In their reaction, well, that's it. I want to see. I want to see Josh Allen get the ball now. <laughs> you know what are you doing to me here? Well, I th- just wait, wait, out of bounds. Well, you know, Tommy, what happens too? This kind of t- brings it full circle from the beginning part of this conversation, and that is when a lot of people that don't watch a lot of football are all of a sudden drawn into this drama, this reality sh- show. You know, unexpectedly, it's like they don't know the rules, and they're like, "Wait a minute, I don't understand. Why doesn't why doesn't the guy that wore number seventeen that that did all those plays just twenty minutes ago? Why doesn't he get a chance? You know, so you get a lot of that. 
Um, God. Now, who did, what did you, while you were watching that unfold and taking away any financial interest you may have had, who did you want to win that game? Buffalo. So did I. But I did have – so I I went 0-3 on the smell test. It's I still have a chance to get Ooh. back to 500. But I gave out the two unders in, on the Sunday games, and, and I gave out um, – Tampa. I also said I love the unders in the first two games of the weekend, and I like Kansas City. So I gave out three leans, all of which came through, but don't count on my record. And the three official picks were all losers, but the two unders were were home runs. I mean, Tampa's down 27-13. That's easily a game 27-6, but even at 27-20, if the Rams get a first down, the total was 48. Game's over, but Akers fumbles, and here we are at 27-27. That game goes over. And then the Bills had to convert a fourth and 13 at 20, when it was 26-21, or that game would have gone under, which is why, boys and girls, gambling, you know, as, <laughs> as one of my good friends Joe Preston always says when we're in Vegas – you know, Vegas, it ain't for everybody. <laughs> and it's not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I did play the under and I played Kansas City. But there was part of me, that, look, I was rooting for Kansas City to win, win my bet. But there was part of me that really understood that if Buffalo wins this game and they get to host the AFC title game, that would be kind of cool. Um, yes. And, God. I mean, I'm, look, I, I got to think. Life is pretty hard in Buffalo, so I really <laughs> wanted it for them. I mean, it can't be easy living in Buffalo. I'm not downgrading Buffalo. It's I've been there. It's just, it can't be an easy place to live. That's all. They got they got great wings, Tommy. They got great wings. But let me just you know, as you were saying that, okay, here we go. Uh, today, scattered snow showers high of 22. Tonight, scattered flurries low of two degrees. Tomorrow, it's going to be sunny with a high of 12. Tomorrow night, chance of snow, low of 7. And then it just keeps going. Here's the most encouraging part of the extended forecast for Buffalo, New York. Next Monday, <laughs> cloudy in 25. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. Tough, that's a tough life. So I, I was pulling for them. Plus, look, I mean, Mahomes is great. Uh, and, I mean, we may be splitting hairs here. Uh, although I don't think so. I mean, Josh Allen put that team on his shoulders. Oh, he's great. He's great. You know? I mean, he just did it. I mean, Mahomes does it too, but he's got Tyree Kill. He's got, he's got Kelsey. And I know, you know, uh, you know, they've got Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen. It just seemed like, like Josh Allen was willing that team to win. It was, um, so this will – thank you again. This will get us into our next topic um, because I think that game and the performances by that quarter – by those two quarterbacks in that game specifically made a lot of people fans, but more importantly, front offices around the league rethink everything when it comes to the quarterback position. I want to get to that uh, next, right after these words from a few – of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It really helps us. Please rate us and review us if you haven't done that, uh, especially on Apple um, on Apple and Spotify. I wanted to mention um, one quick thing because I don't know that I mentioned it yesterday on the podcast. I, um, I'm supposed to put out, you know, um, semi-regular Twitter polls for the radio show, which are sponsored by my good friends at Window Nation. Uh, they got a great deal going on right now at Window Nation. Go to windownation.com or call them at 866-90-NATION. Uh, buy two, get two free. No money down, no down payments, no interest for two full years. Um, in the wake of the quarterbacking um, display that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford, et cetera, you know, put on over the weekend, I just put out a poll that was intended to be very tongue-in-cheek, and I thought people would get it, but I would say I would say the majority didn't get it. I just wrote, the poll was, the off-season priority for the Washington football team should be uh, another wide receiver was one option, Tommy. Middle linebacker was a second option. The third option was a starting guard with offensive line depth, and then I had other. And I, I got it. I saw it. I guess I got it, uh, but but it certainly didn't. It didn't have. I th- I thought most people would. I thought you know the other category would just say ninety nine point nine percent, and everybody would be say ah funny you didn't put quarterback in there. Um, but no, most people were like, dude, you forgot quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't forget quarterback it was a tongue firmly placed in cheek thing that just for whatever reason didn't work it's funny my son my youngest son goes dad 
was that poll? Are you trolling people with that poll? Are you serious? <laughs> like he wasn't exactly sure. And then he's like, and I said, no, I, I was totally, you know, tongue in cheek trolling. And he's like, yeah, I thought so. But a bunch of my friends called and said, your dad forgot to put quarterback in there. <laughs> um, so look, uh, what we saw this weekend, especially with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, I, I, I was thinking about this, and I talked a little bit about it on the show this morning on radio because we were talking a lot about Aaron Rodgers. Let me just first say this on Aaron Rodgers. Um, if he is available and if he actually wasn't opposed to playing in Washington – I would go all in on Aaron Rodgers. My feeling isn't any different than it was a year ago. There's nothing that I saw Saturday night that would change my mind. Nothing. Um, If it costs me three ones and Chase Young, count me the F in. All right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a two-time, is going to be a two-time reigning MVP um, and for those of you that thinks that think he shits the bed in the postseason and he chokes in the postseason and he folds like a cheap suit in the in the in the postseason, you're out of your mind. That just isn't true. He did not do enough on Saturday night. That's the game more than any other, and it's the most recent. So I understand that where you're like, oh my God, he lost at home to the 49ers, and he only put 10 points up on the board. And he wasn't good. The, 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 the truly elite quarterbacks elevate their team. And they should have won the game. Uh, he's an elite quarterback, people. All right? And he hasn't won a Super Bowl since 2011. I understand that. And he's played in a lot of NS, NFC Championship games since then. And they haven't gotten through. But if you go back, Saturday night was the only loss, really, that you can have that feeling oh, my God, Aaron Rodgers didn't get it done. Because at almost every turn, he's gotten it done. And if he didn't, it was because his team was playing a favored team that was just better. Period. Now, if you want to say Tampa wasn't better last year, well, cover Scotty Miller at the end of the half when, you know, it's a Hail Mary thing and and Brady finds Miller wide open. That was that loss was not on 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 Aaron Rodgers. The coach took the ball out of his hands at the end of the game. All right, they they have lost games after he threw a hail mary and he never touched the ball in overtime against Arizona. After he had an incredible game at Seattle and they recovered an onside kick the Seahawks did and he never touched the ball in overtime. You're just you don't tell me that Aaron Rodgers. If you want to make the case that Aaron Rodgers, you think at 38 years old that he's now going to hit the wall and start to decline, which is why you would. Um, you know, not, you know, want him for a, a hefty price. Well, I would just say to you, well, what evidence did he give you this year that he's in decline? Because he's going to win his second straight MVP. But that's a better argument than he can't get it done in the postseason. Do you know Peyton Manning couldn't get it done forever in the postseason? Peyton Manning right. actually only had one Super Bowl and had a losing playoff record and had a neck injury at 37 years old and then had one of the greatest seasons in the history of seasons and lost in the playoffs again in 2012. And then finally, at the end of his career, 
you know, ended up winning the Super Bowl with Denver when he wasn't as much of a part of it. But they continued to get there. He got him to a Super Bowl, lost to a much better Seattle team, you know, that particular year. Um, but anyway, I digress because I'm all in on Aaron Rodgers. He ain't coming here. I mean, that ain't happening. But I'm just – for those of you that actually have this thought that – you wouldn't do Aaron Rodgers now after watching him on Saturday night. I think you need your head examined. Um, let me let me just say this. Okay. And I tweeted this out uh, about an hour after the final playoff game to give everyone sufficient time to, to basically wind down. You know, the NFL playoffs is the annual exercise for Washington football fans of showing how far they really have to go. To become this, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, really, it, I mean, it, it's always the stark interest. If you watch, if you watch the Washington football games closely throughout the season, and then you watch the NFL playoffs, sometimes it's like you're not even watching the same game. And this is an annual exercise, and and and, and that's what this is. So, so I'm, I'm, look, and I'm fine, I'm curious about the. Aaron Rodgers debate, because I would say to Washington fans, wouldn't you rather argue about <laughs> about losing the NFC Championship game than argue whether Taylor Heineke should be your starting quarterback or not? It's it's, it's insane. I just don't. It really is. Look, I, wouldn't I, your disappointment rather be we lost another NFC title game? Yeah, I mean they did. They didn't get back to the championship game this year, but I think everybody understands your point. Yeah, but, but of course. And the thing is, is it's not like okay, it's not like you're you're going with a quarterback that can't do it. Um, whether he does it or or doesn't do it, time would only tell. But it's not like he can't do it. I mean, the the guy's been you know a little bit snake bit. His teams have been a little bit snake bit in the, in the postseason in certain games. I mean, he threw a hail mary to Jeff Janis in Arizona, and he never touched the ball in overtime. The, the Seattle recovered an onside kick when that game was over, and he was about to go back to a Super Bowl. I mean, last year they you know the head coach took the ball out of his hands, you know, at the end of the game in a, in a five point loss. To the to, to by the way Tom Brady and 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 the Buccaneers but anyway this is what I wanted to say because um, it, it 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 dovetails off what you're talking about I don't think it's just Washington after Sunday night you know or the the really bad franchises that say oh my God we're never going to be that I think it's a lot of teams Tommy I think the performance from Josh Allen and from Patrick Mahomes the eye popping performance by both of them. And by the way, just recently, you know, in addition to Josh Allen and 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 Pat Mahomes in the AFC, you've got Justin Herbert, you've got Joe Burrow. You know, you still have Aaron Rodgers playing at a super high level. You've got Matt Stafford who finally got on a good team that looks more and more like an elite quarterback, although I don't put him in that class with Mah- what Mahomes and Allen did. Um the the, the thinking any front office that is thought as Ron Rivera said last year when they didn't get Stafford, um, it was amazing how quickly he turned to, we're just going to build it from the inside out. We're not going to overspend. We're not going to mortgage our future. We're going to then go get the quarterback after we've got – no, 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 no. That's all bullshit. And, and you can't do it. That's not going to work. You saw on Sunday night two guys, and they're not the only two in the league right now. There's a handful of them. 
You know, I throw Lamar Jackson into that conversation when he's healthy and what, you know, he plays it differently. Kyler Murray plays it differently, but they played at such an outrageous level that if you don't have one of those, you basically, what are you doing? And so, well, what if, what if, what if Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo wind up winning the Super Bowl? I mean, I, you you don't put Jimmy Garoppolo in that class, obviously. No, 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 no. And in fact, I'm wondering if like if they lose Sunday or if they beat Matt Stafford and the Rams and lose to you know Pat Mahomes or Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl, you know, which would be the second loss in the Super Bowl. I'm wondering if he would say the same thing. Like, I gotta go get one of them too. Now, maybe Trey Lance is that, but basically, he's already said that. He already he already admitted that. That, you know, you can't win it without Garoppolo. <clears throat> you can't win it with Garoppolo. Excuse me. You got, you got, you got, to, you got to aim higher. Look, here, here's my point. My point is I think front offices all around the league, if they were predisposed to thinking, you know, if we get a really good quarterback, you know, Matt Stafford, um, you know, uh, Dak Prescott, uh, you know, on the good level of a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr, and we really build around him, we can make a deep run. You know, we can do that. You know, Ryan Tannehill, he's not an elite quarterback, but he's a, you know, when he plays at a good level, he's a top half of the league's, you know, quarterback in the system that we like to run. But I think those teams are even checking themselves, saying, what are we doing here? Like, we just have to keep trying to get one of these guys, because Tommy, look, there are the examples, obviously, of Garoppolo making a Super Bowl, Jared Goff making a Super Bowl recently, Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl, okay? There are those examples. But I think what you saw Sunday night is basically that's what you have to strive for because that's going to keep you in contention to be a, 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 a contender for the Super Bowl year in and year out over a long period of time. The other way... You can hit, the, you know, when you have a tremendous coaching staff and a head coach like Kyle Shanahan who's propping Garoppolo up with an incredible run game and an incredible defense, you can win playoff games. You can maybe even get to a Super Bowl. And who knows? Maybe they'll win it. I don't think they will. But maybe maybe they can because they are a tough, hard-nosed team. But that's not the way it's going to happen the significant majority of the time. And so it no, made, it's not. So it made me think of like two th- two things. One, if you don't have one of those, you better be thinking about the best way to try to get one of those. And if that's in the off season, you got to take every opportunity to swing big for Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, uh, and Deshaun Watson. But then it led me to thinking about the draft. The draft is always one of those things where when you're talking about quarterbacks, we know what a long shot crapshoot business it's it is. It's it you know, it's it, when you land on one that ends up being Pat Mahomes, it's like it's like a lottery ticket. It's a winning lottery ticket. It's a long shot though. But I think you have to rethink your position on what you're drafting. Like Mac Jones would not be in the conversation for me anymore. A guy like Mac Jones. I would be going for the guy with the biggest ceiling. I wouldn't care how low the floor was. Because I want the superstar. And so when I'm evaluating these quarterbacks, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Carson Strong, Malik Willis, et cetera, et cetera, this year, I'm not taking the guy that's the safest or the most ready 
or whatever. I'm taking the guy with the biggest upside. I may fail miserably, but I'm taking the guy that could end up looking like one of the two guys we saw Sunday night. I don't want to end oh, up. Josh Allen. Josh Allen fits that category when he came out of Wyoming. Uh, people that didn't people didn't think he'd ever be able to throw an NFL complete NFL passes more than fifty percent. He had a lo- he was not considered a good passer. He had a low floor. You're right. He had one of yeah. those floors that people said he's not an accurate passer. Look at his percentages. No, I will remind everybody. Yeah. And most people listening, you know, know this. Cooley said, "You guys are insane." He doesn't have anything. Look at the way he throws the ball. Look at his movement. This guy's going to be a star. And by the way, Buffalo clearly felt the same way. They took him with the seventh pick overall. And who knows how much further he would have gone. Look, Justin Herbert had a lot of the questions of leadership and stuff. I mean, the physical stuff wasn't questioned. But I guess my point is, is for like Washington, I'm not, I'm I'm like, I, now, after watching Sunday night, I think some front offices will say, we're not taking Mac Jones, you know, and whoever the Mac Jones equivalent is, we're not taking Mac Jones. Okay, he can provide something, but we need to end up with a chance at what we saw Sunday night, or we don't have a chance. By the way, I would also say, especially in the AFC right now, with Herbert and Burrow and Allen and Mahomes and Jackson. My God. Like, if you're an AFC team, like, if you're Denver, you better get Aaron Rodgers. Or, I mean, forget it. You got no you got no shot. If you're Indy, you got to get, you know, Aaron Rodgers. You know, hell, if you're so tenant- if, if you're Washington, so if you're Washington. Yeah. And let's, let's do a reality check here. You're not going to get Aaron Rodgers. You're not going to get Russell Wilson, and you're not going to be you're not going to be foolish enough to trade for Deshaun uh, Watson uh, while your owner is testifying before Congress in congressional <laughs> hearings. Well, I, I about I don't, sexual harassment. I don't know what the downside would be. I mean, again, how much lower could again, they go? We're talking about a new no. We're talking about a new level of downside. I don't know when if we the are. owner of your football team is is is. Is brought before a committee on Capitol Hill God, with, na- with cameras everywhere testifying. Okay, this is what they want. That's what they want. They want Goodell up there, and they want Dan Snyder up there. Anyway, uh, let's say your 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 trade your reality trade level is Mitch Trubisky type. No, you're, you still got to draft. No, no, you, that's my point. Fuck Trubisky and Carr and Tyrod Taylor and Marcus Mariota. What's the point so if of that? You can't get What's any the of the elite guys in a trade. You just as soon stick with Taylor Heineke no. and then draft draft the guy you want. No, what I'm saying. Let me let me let me let me um, let me state it better. What I'm saying is, I am not. I am going big. Or going or, or or going halfway home. I'm going big in that I'm going for one of the big three, which I agree with you. I don't think any of the three are gonna you know ult- ultimately be available. And so now I am going into that draft, and all I am thinking about is who has the highest floor, uh, who has the who has the highest ceiling. I don't care about the floor and how low it is. I'm going for so, the home but run. You're 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 doing what I what I'm saying is. You don't, you don't make the trade for a quarterback that's not one of the top three. 
and then there, you definitely draft a quarterback. I'm going for the guy okay. with the highest ceiling in the draft. And by the right. way, I might trade back. If I think there are two guys with super high ceilings, I might trade back into the end of the first to take the other guy. And then... But you're still looking at Taylor Heineke and, as okay. your quarterback. And, and, I don't, and by the way, you know, from a business standpoint, I can certainly, I think, believe that they can't trot Taylor Heineke out there next year with a new name and the whole thing. So what I'm saying is, at that point, I might sign, or I might sign a, a very cheap, inexpensive veteran option. You know, a Marcus Mariota or a Tyrod Taylor that I believe is be- a better option than Heineke. If if the if the guy or the guys I draft, if that ceiling isn't that you know is there, but we kind of aren't ready to go reaching for it quite yet. Um, but I, t- t- my big, my overarching point here is you've just got, you've got to keep going for what we saw Sunday night or what's the point like trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. What is that going to give you, you know, eight wins instead of seven. I mean, trading for Derek Carr, what's that going to get you? Is it going to get you to nine and eight in a wild card berth? You know, it's just, look, if I were, t- you know, Tennessee, if I were teams, especially in the AFC, I mean, even Tannehill, I'd be thinking about how do I get somebody like what I saw Sunday night? I can't beat these teams with Ryan Tannehill. You know, I'm sure Jacksonville's believing at some point that Trevor Lawrence or, you know, maybe the Jets with their, with their young guy. Um, but Cleveland's got to be thinking, we can't, we can't beat these teams with, with Baker Mayfield. If you're Indy, we can't beat these teams with Carson Wentz. They got to be thinking about how they they land on Rodgers, Watson, Wilson, or they strike you know uh, a lucky uh, hit in the draft by drafting the guy with the highest ceiling. I, that's my big takeaway: is I'm going for the guy with the highest ceiling now in the draft. I don't care about how low the floor is, and I am swinging so big and so hard at you know the the guys that that can play the way those guys played on Sunday night. And there are only three of them in terms of veterans available. You know, Wilson, Rogers, and Watson are the only three. Carr isn't that guy. Garoppolo's not that guy. Trubisky's not that guy. Kirk Cousins isn't that guy. And I'm talking about guys that might be available. I mean, if I'm a team like the Eagles after watching the other night, I'm going for Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson with all the draft choices they have. I mean, Jalen Hurts, I like Jalen Hurts. He's better than I think most people thought he would be. Didn't play well in the playoff game, but he was hurt as it turns out, had a bum ankle. But you got to be – I think the other night was uh, not a game changer for a, a lot of teams that, are, that were already thinking that way. But I bet you there were a lot of teams, especially in the AFC, that said, what are we doing here? We, 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 we don't have a choice Den- if we're Denver. We have to get Aaron Rodgers. We have to. Or we're playing for a so, 500 record. So if you're Washington – would you draft two quarterbacks if you had if, if if you if you felt you had a chance to to take a risk on guys like that? Definitely, especially given how cheap they are. I mean, quarterback, you know, draft choices in rookie deals are yeah. so inexpensive. I mean, the the biggest risk is the pick and what you passed over to take you know the quarterback. But that's the most important position. So I'm taking – look, there are a lot of people that are evaluating these quarterbacks in this draft and saying it's a horrible draft. And if if none of the guys that I evaluate have a big ceiling, 
then I don't know what I'm going to do because you don't want to take a guy with, with a high floor, low ceiling. That's not the way to go anymore. You know, it's just not the way to go. I mean, that can provide you with, you know, a stable franchise, top half of the league guy. You're going to win eight, nine games, sometimes 10 or 11, like if you're Tennessee and win some divisions. You well, know, maybe that but, should be the goal for this team. Well, you know what? This team is different than everybody else. I'm just telling you what I think. Okay. You know, front offices watch that game. Fans watch that game and said, oh, my God, because the performances were so outrageously off the charts, brilliant, and you're looking at these guys and their age and you're thinking, this is the future. Now, it's hard to find them, but, you know, there are going to be seven, eight, nine teams, maybe ten, that have guys like this over the next ten years, and they're going to win all the games. And if I don't have one of them, I'm not going to win all the games. I'm going to be doing what, best case, best case, what Tennessee's been doing here the last couple of years. That's my best, that's my big upside. I guess you could say what San Francisco has done. But, man, those are I can't, I can't argue with it. I can't argue with it. It shows a level of vision. I, I kind of like it. But for, for this team, for your team, I think you have to be satisfied with, with being <laughs> respectable. Look, I don't you know. You for not being embarrassing. Can I just tell you something? Because I said something this morning on radio. I think I've said it before here. But a lot of people responded to me, um, favorably more so, you know, people my age or, you know, uh, older, longer-term fans. But I just said, you know, we're basically eight days away from this 2-2-22. I just don't think that that organization has any clue as to how completely jarring and the negative reaction to this thing or the complete and utter apathetic reaction to this thing from so many of the fans out there. I think it's going to feel like the end. They are touting this is a new beginning, and I think for a large percentage of people who were fans or still are barely fans, it's going to end it. Boom. Done. Because it'll be for the first time since July of 2020, it'll be the first time that they realize, oh my God, it's not my team anymore. It's a totally different team. Because you've, you know, over the last two seasons, Washington football team, colors are the same. I know the colors are still going to the same. The uniforms, for the most part, with the exception of the helmet, look the same. You know, um, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be a lead weight. It's going to. I think it will. I think, I think, I think you're right. I think it will. What, what I find curious is this whole narrative of turning up, turning the page. A new start. I mean, does that mean there'll be no more talk about Joe Gibbs and his three Super Bowls? <laughs> do they leave? The, do they leave that behind too? Will they take the Super Bowl trophies at at the uh, parking lot event they're going to have at FedEx Field and melt them down and mold a giant commander for oh. for their new for their new team? What are what are the trophies made out of? Are they gold? Oh, I don't know. I was, was going to so. say melt melt it down and use it to pay off all the the victims of of all the uh, <laughs> of all the lawsuits you're going to have to settle. Um, yeah. I uh, I mean you know it's just it's just I mean I always find this look and I, I and Bruce Butcher finally figured this out with the Capitals when you sign on for this team you sign on for the good and the bad you can't just say you know we're not going to live in the past the past 
is part of who you are. The three Super Bowl trophies and the 20 years of embarrassment, it's all part of every time you put on that uniform, when you coach, you inherit all of it. Or none of it. Either all of it or none of it. The fan, well, I, I think that will stay a part of this franchise's history. They're not gonna. They're not going to ignore. Well, of course they will. But my point is, yeah. it's hypocritical to say Newbie we're not going to live in the past and then you know well, talk about Joe Gibbs all the time. I, I think when they say we're not going to live in the past, it would be more like the last twenty-two years of, of yeah, past. Yeah, I know. Um, I know that. Ni- it would be nice not to live um, under those you know uh, uh, conditions. Uh, I um. I, I I just I think so there are people that are excited about two two twenty two. God bless you. All right, you know, and if you've been sticking with this team throughout and you haven't been impacted, like like somebody like me, you know, one of the all time, you know, diehards like many of you, it was such an important part, probably an outsized uh, and inappropriate part of my life for so long. Um, but I just feel so differently now. And, you know, some of that could be chalked up to getting older and maybe it would have happened anyway, but really 95% of it can be chalked up to what this owner has done over the last 22 years. It's the losing and it's the embarrassing behavior and the insulting, et cetera. It's just, it's, it's, um, you know, it's different. I don't have the same level of passion for this team anymore. Not at all. I mean, we already talked about this last week when I said I couldn't even, you know, j- summon up enough energy to root against the Cowboys in the playoffs. Like, who gives a shit? I mean, my, my most people out there that were saying that weren't even going to get your own games. I mean, without the Cowboy fans, you wouldn't have had a full stadium um, at any point this year. But um, I think when we get to two two twenty two. There's a very large percentage of people who were either already feeling the way I was, already checked out, or um, have sort of been, you know, following it and into it, but are a little bit queasy as to how they're going to feel. And those people are, go- are are in for a big, rude slap in the face because it will be jarring. It'll be for the first time we lost our team. We lost everything about our team. This is the brand connection, the emotional brand connection that happens in any consumer product. And this one especially that was has been around for 80-something years. The attachment you had was a lot to things that weren't even things that happened on the field. And when they say Washington Commanders and the uniform has the same colors, but it's a different looking uniform and the helmet's a little bit different. And they start with all of these, you know, know no-nothings that are out there now that have been there for five minutes. Start talking about, you know, new songs, new fight songs. And they start, you know, asking for recommendations for new fight songs and, 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 and new things that can be attached to the new thing. And they name another part of the stadium after Sean Taylor, you guys are going to be out permanently. That will be it. That'll be the nail in the coffin. I feel it coming, Tommy. I swear. I feel it coming for a lot of people. Well, you know, I mean, when when they got rid of Redskins, no matter what your position was on, on the name, and I wrote a column about this, uh, you know, and I think some fans may feel this way, maybe more feel the way you do. I think a lot of fans feel they lost their team a long time ago. Uh, yes. And, uh, I mean, they really they have not been the team that you fell in love with 
for for a while. I and they have not been the team deserving of your love for quite a while. I th- I think you're right. I don't think there's any doubt about it that a lot of people were gone on that day. But I also think that those people with Washington football team and Washington being a big part of the brand and the colors and the uniforms looking the same were always within reach. I think the new name and everything else puts them completely out of reach. And I think for the people that have been, eh, okay, whatever, but it's going to be an, a, a complete shock when all of this stuff rolls out, it's going to really hit home. I think. I mean, if people understand it. They can. They can. Under, they can. You know, project what it's going to be. But I don't think they're going to know until it actually eight days from now gets rolled out. And by the way, I'm not discounting the fact that this team will be targeting a lot of people that don't remember the Super Bowls and you know are are looking for kind of a new team. It's very much an expansion kind of rollout. I I really feel that way and that's who they're going to be targeting. Younger people that haven't rooted for the team because they've sucked for so long and they're going to be be able to introduce this team to that group and that demographic as if it is something new. Um so best of luck with that. Uh Speaking of that, the local television ratings for NFL teams were put out by our good friend John Orand uh, from Sports Business Journal. I wanted to talk about that and maybe a couple of other things that maybe you haven't gotten to. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, just to let everybody know, um, tomorrow is the 30-year anniversary of Washington's Super Bowl 26 win over Buffalo. Um, on the radio show tomorrow morning, I've got Charlie Casserly, who's going to be with me at 7 a.m. Right now, tentatively, Mark Rippon will be a part of the show. Jeff Bostick's going to be on radio with me tomorrow morning at 8, and Frank Herzog, who was obviously uh, part of the most famous and, and iconic radio booth in D.C. sports history, Frank, Sonny, and Sam. Frank will be with me at 8.30. Uh, and we will also have a special guest, 91 uh, anniversary um, uh, related on the podcast tomorrow as well. 30 years ago. Wow. I was there, Tommy. Okay. I was there for that Super Bowl. The you want to leave that past behind? <laughs> want to leave, leave that, it behind. Want to leave that past behind? So, our friend, yeah. our, our friend John Oran from Sports Business Journal. John does such a great job. Has a really good podcast too with Andrew Marshand um, that you can listen to wherever you get a podcast. So he put out in his latest newsletter the local, the regular season local market television ratings for all of the NFL markets. Now. Let me just say this, because I know you're going to get to it, that not everybody watches games on TV anymore. There are lots of different ways to, you know, 
watch these games, to consume these games. There are a lot of, you know, people, young people doing it in different ways where, you know, it wouldn't register in the ratings, whatever. But still, we, we have the local TV ratings. So Washington, the Washington market for the Washington football team, did an average local rating for their their 17 games this year of a 16.6. <laughs> That's not good, people. It's not good. It's but really, I think it's better than last year. It is barely better. Last year was a 16.5, yes. right? Yes. But, you know, last year was a weird year. I mean, it was it was a good year in that they ended up making a run and they ended up playing in the postseason. But the COVID year, like almost 21 of the 32 NFL markets were up this year from 2020. So if that gives you any sense. So basically two-thirds of the league's teams were up um, in television ratings. But anyway, 16.6, just to give you an idea before I tell you where it ranks in the league, the 16.6 is basically half of the audience that they would have had on average 10, 12 years ago. I mean, it's been in steady decline for a long time now, as we know, and we've referred to these, you know, hideous local TV um, ratings, you know, but most of the time we've just been sort of comparing it to what it used to be in this market, you know, and you can basically say roughly without me having the 2010 or the 2012 numbers in front of me, I guarantee you in 2012, Washington was in the high 20s, low 30s as an average for the year. I can tell you this, the playoff game against Seattle that they had during the RG3 season did a 50 rating locally, 50, 5-0 for that one game. The Cowboy game, which got them into the postseason in a regular season game, did a 42 local rating. So um, that year, I'm assuming they averaged well over a 30. So they're now at 16.6. So the audience is essentially half of what it was 10 years ago. That's probably a pretty good estimation. And we've said that they've chased off at least half the fan base, if not more than it. We know where they are in local attendance. They're dead last in attendance. And without the opponent's fans in that stadium, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have had, I, I think I did the back of the envelope on this, Tommy, that their 51,000 plus paid attendance number, that it was actually, actual average attendance was about 40,000 for games this year. And I estimated that 60% on the season were there to watch Washington. So like 24,000 people basically bought tickets and went to games who were actual Redskin fans, Washington football team fans. Okay, that is, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And then you factor that with a 16.6 local TV rating. You can see that when I've said to to you guys with Tommy or without him that this podcast and all of the discussion about the team, which we all enjoy, it's very much a bubble. I mean, you know, it's, it's, and I love the bubble and I love all of you that are part of it. And I, and I thank God for it. Trust me, but it really is a bubble because half the fan base. Now, by the way, half the fan base doesn't mean that they're not listening to this podcast, even if they're not watching the games or going to the games. Um, not everybody listens to this podcast or the radio show, especially those that listen when Tommy's on. Not everybody's just listening to Tommy and I together because you're Washington football team fans. We understand that and we're appreciative of that. Anyway, the point being, um, they've chased away roughly half of what the fan base was 10 years ago, and probably more than half, I would guess. Um, Now, where does it rank? 25th. 
The 16.6 is 25th out of the 32 teams locally. But I want to point out that the markets, the seven that had worse local television ratings, first of all, the worst ratings in the in local TV ratings in the league were the Jets and the Giants, two horrific teams this year. In a city, by the way, that even when the Giants and Jets have been really good, they never produced the numbers that a Washington or a Dallas or a Boston or when you get smaller market, Green Bay or New Orleans. They've never produced those numbers. It's, it's New York. Football isn't king in New York necessarily. You know, it's same in L.A., You know, two of the markets that are behind Washington are the Chargers and the Rams. Well, they're kind of new to their cities for the most part. And it's L.A. Uh, Miami, Houston, and Atlanta were the other three teams that had worse local TV ratings. The best local television ratings in the NFL, Buffalo, that place you were referring to earlier, 47.2 was their average local TV rating. So nearly half of the people with televisions were watching Bills games when they were on. Um, other markets that were outstanding, Milwaukee, you know, for the Packers, 41.6 on average. Um, the Saints, 40.9. Kansas City, 45.3. Lots of markets in the 30s and the high 20s. You know, um, Cincinnati was good this year. Hasn't been a great team. You know, they averaged a 28.8 local TV rating. Baltimore to 28, you know, um, so, you know, Detroit, not a good team, much better local rating than Washington, did a 21. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for other teams that had rough years. Chicago, rough year, much better than Washington at a 22.2. Um, I mean, Seattle didn't have a good season, a 31.4. Uh, Washington really, you know, 25th out of 32 teams, but really bad compared to what it used to be. So anyway. Um, uh, you know, the other thing too, I, I, I always mention this when we have these conversations, I do realize that the 16.6 local television rating for Washington, 17 games this year is a much bigger number than any of the other local teams. I do understand that. I mean, the Nats, the Caps, um, and the Wizards would kill for an average rating of 16.6. I mean, they're in the low single digits in terms of local television ratings for regular season games. Right, and to be fair, uh, more the Nats games. play 162 games yeah, a year. I understand. And the, and the Wizards and the Cats play right. 82 games a year. But, you know, if you were to eventually, of course, you don't have this opportunity. Actually, I don't know what the Washington-Tampa game did last year. I'll ask John one of these days. But, like, to try to create, like, the apples to apples, you would do the, you know, a Washington football playoff game or or maybe just a Washington football regular season game against one of those other teams' playoff games. And then you get to something more comparable. Anyway, um, what else did you have for the show today? You said you wanted to mention something. Well, today, this afternoon, probably by the time – uh, probably after the podcast is out, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame is going to announce the results of their 2022 Hall of Fame ballot. And uh, the expectation is that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, uh, among the other uh, cheaters, will probably miss, uh, again, just fall short, uh, and uh, that would be their last year of eligibility. On the ballot. Wow. If Bonds and Clements don't get in, then they're done 
and then they have to go to the uh, select committee that, you know, votes on these. And I think their chances of getting in dramatically decline uh, once uh, other Hall of Famers are, are voting on, on their candidacy, because most of the Hall of Famers do not want either of these guys up there with them on a stage at one point. All right. You are, so, you're a Hall of Fame voter, so tell me who yes. you voted for in your ballot, because you always do. Okay. You know, uh, I didn't vote for Barry Bonds. I didn't vote for Roger Clemens. I didn't vote for Sammy Sosa. I didn't vote for Manny Ramirez or Alex Rodriguez. I didn't vote for David Ortiz. Now, David Ortiz might get in because he's beloved and revered. Uh, I didn't vote for David Ortiz to be consistent in my position on steroids. Uh, David Ortiz's name came up on the 2003 positive test list that was published by the New York Times and not refuted by, by Major League Baseball. Re- repeat to uh, everybody that hasn't heard it, your stance as a Hall of Fame baseball voter um, with respect to guys that were even linked at, in any way, shape, or form to steroids is? Well, in, linked in any way, shape, or form, I mean linked through some kind of legal document or through some kind of internal official document, drug testing. However, in other words, suspicion, I don't vote on suspicion. You know, Mike, Mike Piazza was suspic- suspected of using steroids. I voted for him. His name never came up in an investigation, a court hearing, or anything like that. Uh, all the guys I vote, or I have not voted for, everyone who I've mentioned, you know, did have some kind of circumstantial evidence to connect them to steroid use. Uh, and so, you know, I don't vote for those guys. People say, well, you know, how do you know who used steroids and who did? Maybe a lot of others did. I said, but I know these guys did. Right. I said, you know, I don't know who else did or didn't, but uh, imagine a justice system where we said, well, you can't judge anyone if you don't judge everyone. So who did you, you vote caught. for? I voted for three guys. I voted for Jeff Kent, who's not going to get in. Uh, he usually gets about 30 35%. He had 800 RBI seasons at, as a second baseman. How many years has uh, he been voted, on the ballot? I don't know. It's been, be, it's been a he lot. He may be close it, to the end. Yeah, yeah. right? Okay. He, he may be close to the how end. Many, I voted for Billy How Wagner. many years you can be on the ballot for 10 years, right? If you're not... 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you Jeff... You on the ballot for 10 years. Jeff Kent. I voted for... Jeff Kent, I voted for Billy Wagner. Uh, I think he's the one closer who has not been put in the Hall of Fame that probably should be put in. I voted for Scott Rowland. That was a change for me. The Scott Rowland people convinced me that... Uh, the, the third baseman is probably <laughs> a borderline Hall of Famer. How did they convince so, you? What did they send you? Well, I went back and I looked at his <laughs> record. I mean, you know, Good more cigars. closely. Yeah. No, not that they didn't convince him to buy me off <laughs> kind of thing. You'd be but, easy to buy. Uh, yes, I would be. You know, uh, he uh, had 316 home runs, tw- uh, 1,300 RBIs. He was a seven-time All-Star an eight-time gold glove winner Wow! as a third baseman. Uh, so I voted for Scott Rowland as, as my third, and that's it. I voted for three guys. You know, typically in the past, I've been a very what, generous what Roland, voter. You're what, what, to did vote Roland, up to 10. what did Rowland hit for his career? He had 281. Okay. Normally, I don't vote 281 hitters right. 
into the Hall of Fame unless they've got some other stat that makes them stick out. And his eight goal glove does Roland have a shot that stick out? His 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 candidacy is rising. Uh, if he if he doesn't get in this time, and he probably won't, there's a chance he may get in next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, his candidacy has gone up. So on, so the, that's I want to. I voted for. So I want to make sure I'm clear on this. On the ballot for the final time, Bonds, Clemens, and did you say Schilling? Schilling too. Oh, yeah. I don't even. I don't even count him. Um, know, the guy said he doesn't want to be on the ballot. Even he came out this year and said he doesn't want the baseball writers to vote for him. So right. I accommodated him. I didn't vote for him. Uh, when you does know, when does a when does a Rod get to the ballot? He's on the ballot this year. He is okay. And for his first time, so far, you know, there's a guy. Uh, I forget the guy's name. He does a great job of tracking Hall of Fame ballots based on. Uh, writers who reveal their ballots early. And based on, their, I think about 50% of the ballots have been revealed at this point uh, through, you know, through the writers' admissions. And A-Rod was trending at about 46%. Uh, when Bonds and Clemens first got on the ballot, they trended at like 36, 35%. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. But, uh, but again, here's what happened. So, this is what's, I mean, right now, Bonds and Clemens trend at 77%, and you only need 75% to get in. But everyone knows traditionally it's the half of the ballots that aren't revealed before the results are announced that, that torpedo these guys. You know, that are, most of the time, the, the ballots that are not revealed consist of voters who do not vote for these guys, like me. How, what, what is, um, refresh my memory, how many people can you vote for? You can vote for up to 10. Okay. And there have been years where I voted for 10 guys. But just three this year. Yeah. Roland, it's not a great ballot. Roland, Wagner, and Kent. Yes. Yeah, it's not a great ballot. I just pulled up the ballot. Um, no. If, if you eliminate the steroid guys, it's not a great ballot. Right, because going down the list, obviously, you know, Sosa's still on it, Pettit's still on it, um, uh, Ramirez is still on it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now listen, uh, just, just to reiterate, uh, steroids, even though they didn't test for it, steroids were banned by baseball in 1991. Right. The reason they didn't test for it is the union stopped the efforts by the owners to implement drug testing. It wasn't the owners. It was the players' union. And the players' union only changed that when they got dragged before Congress uh, during the steroid hearings, and their players decided they didn't want to be embarrassed anymore on national TV on Capitol Hill. That's when the union caved and agreed to stricter drug testing. So steroids have been banned since 91. Barry Bonds is an admitted steroid user. He admitted in grand jury testimony that he used, quote, the cream and the clear, but he claimed he didn't know what they were. Okay. What year? Uh, what year? Roger, Roger Clemens' name is prominently displayed in the Mitchell Report, which, uh, unlike the cheerleaders and, and many of the baseball writers, I have, I have a, call me crazy, but I have a lot of confidence in a two-time United States senator who was the guy who, who founded peace in Northern Ireland, you know? 
can I go back? I to, must be nuts. Can I just go back to Bonds for one minute because I think he's the one. You know, um, I mean Clemens too, but I mean Barry Bonds is you know just the thought of him not being a Hall of Famer is is crazy to some people, but we all know the reason why. But uh, one of the arguments, and you can help me with this because I'm not an expert in this area, um, but. What about the argument that says that Bonds had a Hall of Fame career before he started using steroids in Pittsburgh and his you know, first few years in San Francisco? Right. Well, you know what, to me, that's a bigger indictment uh, than anything else. He didn't have to cheat to achieve Hall of Fame. He basically cheated because he was jealous. Tommy, what year did he, he start? Cheated? You, yeah, what's, right, because he, 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 started, he started right after the 98 Sosa McGuire uh, race. Right. Because he was jealous of all the attention they were getting. Right. So he had what a ten, eleven year career before then. I'm, I'm just yeah. so. Let me just ask you the question: Did he have a hall? If he had retired before the '99 season, or before the you know before the '99 season, would he be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Okay. He would. And also, I, I might want to point out uh, that you know of the criteria for there's six criteria for election to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Three of them are character, integrity, and contributions to the game. Yep. I, I, I value those. Some people don't. And if they get in, fine. That's what the voters, that's what the membership wants. That's fine. They get in, that's the way it is. That's, that's the way it was decided. I just don't think they're going to get in. And let me point out for the people who say the writers hated Barry Bonds, they voted him the NFL and the, the NL MVP seven times. That was the baseball writers who did that, right? Yeah, I mean he was he was a he was an unbelievable player. Yeah. Um. But he was a cheater. Yep. And he cheated for all the pettiest of reasons. Some guys cheated to save their jobs. Some guys cheated so they could have jobs. a major league career. Yeah. Yes. This guy cheated because he was jealous. All right. Um, every year, Tommy, big part. Of this, how do, is this a big thing for you? I mean, how many how many years have you been a Hall of Fame baseball writer, a, a voter? Uh, probably nineteen years. Um, it's a big deal. It's probably the coolest thing I do. Yeah. Besides this podcast with you, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a cool thing that you get to do. Yeah. It's um, the thing that makes people light up. When I tell them I do it, and that's all they want to talk about. Well, I mean, it's quite an introductory, you know, um, thing for you. I mean, it's, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to our guest this <laughs> evening, our guest speaker. He is a 19-year Hall of Fame baseball voter, uh, and, and by the way, had one of the coolest radio shows, and what a podcast he, <laughs> he, uh, he's a part of. Uh, twice a week. Um, you know, uh, I also vote for the boxing hall. Of Fame I know that. Well. I know that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, God, you just reminded me of something. So, um, after the game on Sunday night, <clears throat> I think I tweeted this out. Yes, I did because somebody said uh, he said Tommy would be proud of you, and I said, you know, I know, I saw it. Oh, the, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Because Hagler Hearns. Well, that's that's what I thought of. I, I thought of. I'm like, you know, this these final two minutes are going to be watched over and over again for years to come, 
Uh, you know, people will be on YouTube 15 years from now saying, I want to go watch the final two minutes of that game. Or if somebody hadn't seen it, you know, you got you to go watch the final two minutes of, of Bill's Chiefs. I mean, that's, that's the all-timer. Because the, the comp for me is Hagler Hearns. Like, whenever somebody says they haven't seen Hagler Hearns, I insist that they spend, you know, nine minutes because that's what it is. It's not even a full nine. But if you get a little bit of the prelim and a little bit of the post-fight, you know, it's 10 to 12 minutes. Spend 10 to 12 minutes and watch the three rounds of Hagler Hearns. You will not be disappointed and you will say, thank you for turning me on to that. And I think that you know the the final two minutes of the Bills Chiefs game will be the same thing. That was crazy. I like it. I like it. It's a good comparison. Um, but your fight, uh, Foreman Lyle, that five round fight that you turned me on to <laughs> is unbelievable. Yeah, I remember you're like it you really haven't seen is. Foreman Lyle. I, I have not seen it, and I went and watched it on YouTube, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my god, it just kept getting better and better. Ugh. All right. Uh, Ron Lyle, who learned how to box in prison. That was the days where you could learn how to fight and box in prison. Yeah. Bernard Hopkins learned how to box in prison. Yeah, so did, um, uh, oh, God, who was the light heavyweight champ for many years who came at, right, right out of prison? Um, Matthew, Matthew, I'm forgetting. Matt, Matt Franklin? No. Matt, Matthew Saad Muhammad? Yeah, Matthew Saad Muhammad. Wasn't he? Okay, yeah. Well, he, he was right out of jail. I don't know if he was. I don't know if he was or not. Well, I'm thinking of somebody Boy, else. Well, that's then. when the light heavyweight division was great. I know. Yeah. Um, that's I th- when, I mean, that, it was great light heavyweights then. I thought there was somebody that, during that era, that, that, that was Look, a light heavyweight Look, if there was a guy champion. named James Scott. Yeah. Who, I, who, I remember I, him. fought. While he was in, in prison, Railway State in prison, prison at Railway. and they showed the fight on on yes. ABC's Wide World of Sports. Yes, they they yeah. showed him. They showed the fight. I tell you what, you're thinking of Dwight Muhammad. Uh, Dwight Muhammad Kawe. That's who I'm He's thinking the guy of. Who, who, that's who I'm thinking yes. of. Yes. Yeah. Didn't he fight yeah. also in prison? Maybe. I think so. I think he did. What a great fighter he was. Great fighter. What a great tough fighter. Yeah. All right, we're done. Uh, back tomorrow to uh, celebrate 30 years ago uh, tomorrow, the Super Bowl champion Washington Redskins over the Buffalo Bills. All right, Tommy, uh, enjoy the beach, enjoy your cigar, enjoy your beers, and uh, be careful with phone numbers on dollar bills. Back tomorrow. (laughs) For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.